Did Carol Baskin kill her husband? Whoa. Whoa. Absolutely she did. Yeah. Yes. So hello, welcome back to Activist Class. Um, I'm here with Speck. What up? Aretha. What's up? Chrissy. Hi. Day. Michael Phelps. Michael Phelps. And our special guest, uh, King County Council member, Germay Zahalai. You can call me Germay. Has it been the longest three months of your life? (laughs) I, I, I chose the perfect time to get into office, right? Yeah, I really did. <laughs> we had all these plans, the things that we were going to work on, and then we get there and it's like, nah, let's, let's just like... shut the whole world down real quick. Yeah. <laughs> so is that legit what's happening? Is that like your only day-to-day shit is COVID-related at this point? Basically, uh, I don't, you know, we can't just focus on that, but COVID makes everything worse. It's not just a virus. Yeah. It's, you know, economic shutdown, layoffs, uh you know, gun violence is taken up again because young people are out of school and it just makes everything worse. So it's been a fast three months, but I mean, right, like a couple quarters ago, you were campaigning. Yeah. Yesterday was my one year anniversary of my launch party. So it was crazy to see a room packed with people, energy, excitement, hope. And then one year later, I'm stuck in a little room (laughs) <laughs> can't, can't rally people can't go can't, anywhere yeah, yeah can't go anywhere so it was a it was a big big uh shift in tone from march 31st 2019 to march 31st 2020 uh but all the reasons why i ran are more important now than ever so mm. um definitely a lot of work to do yeah can i be honest with you or am i when Lay it I, on me when man I, always keep yeah. it real about a year ago when you launched your campaign, I remember hearing for the first time, hey, someone's running against Larry Gossett, right? Yep. And who is a staple in the community, who has obviously a historic record. And immediately my thought was like, oh, who's trying to challenge him? Who's trying to, you know, I, you know, obviously um, Larry doesn't have a perfect record, but the, the, the symbolism, at least what he has in the community um, speaks for itself. And so I was like eager to see who was challenging um, Councilmember Gossett. And then when I saw your platform, I was like, whoa, this is going to be Oh, shit. Right. But I, I just want to know, like, how how long have you been thinking about running for the seat? And what's your thought process, especially going a- against a community figure like Larry Gossett mm-hmm. with yeah, your so- platform? When I launched my campaign, uh, Councilmember Gossett had not announced that he was running. I was under the impression that he was retiring. So it wasn't like I was getting into this seat to run against him. It was to make sure that we have continuity and somebody who would continue fighting for the things that he's been fighting for for so long. Especially, you know, at the King County level, it's not like it's Seattle City Council uh, where we have a, a bunch of people who are uh, progressive or, they, you know, it's a, yeah. it's a spectrum. So having that voice, especially being uh, the lone person of color on the council is yeah. really important. Um, 
And then when he did announce that he was running again, I, my, my race was already going the issues Mm -hmm. that I wanted and to fight for and that many people wanted to fight for still existed. So, uh, the only thing I did not do was drop out, uh, but I did not run to run against Larry Gossett. That would be crazy. So you think if you knew if he was if he was running, you'd probably think about it more? Absolutely, absolutely. I would not have run if I knew. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah. yeah, because you know there are places, there are other offices to run for. I would not have chosen this civil rights icon to mm. say, "Well, this is the seat that I'm running for." <laughs> yeah. Well, so if that's your thought, and I mean that totally makes sense, and you know, just trying to imagine the position and thought process you must have been in after you found out he's going to continue to campaign and try to go for another term. How are you yeah. navigating those thoughts, trying to continue to try to win, build a winning campaign while knowing that one of your own heroes um, is the very person that you're going to have to beat in the campaign? It was the most challenging decision maybe that I've ever had to make in my life. You know, at that point when I found out he was going to be running, I had already tapped into all my friends to have them rally, to show up, to donate, to start signing up to volunteer. We had this launch party going. So to unwind that process is just not not just logistically. Logistically, it would be a nightmare to like return funds and things like that. But I, I could get over that. But really, it's to unwind the momentum and all the people who are signing up to register to vote for the first time, people who are packing rooms, people who are excited for the platform, and then to say, sorry, y'all, we made a mistake. <laughs> Let's cancel JK. all the momentum. <laughs> JK, JK. <laughs> um, so it, it was extremely challenging. Um, I made sure that the whole campaign was, I did not, you know, uh, make it a, a Germay versus Larry race by any means. Um, which, I mean, it would have been an absurd, even strategic thing to do because my accomplishments versus his accomplishments, I, that's a ridiculous comparison to even make. Uh, so yeah. we just stuck to the issues that we were fighting for, the vision that we had, and turning out as many new people into this process as possible. So before you jumped on, I was talking to the crew and, you know, you mentioned you are the only person of color on King County Council which is very, very different from city council. Like I walk around and I'm like, we're all just brown ladies running shit out here. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But like, I can't even imagine one being newly elected and how overwhelming just getting acclimated with like all of the processes and like the systems and the boundaries and all of that. And then on top of that, you're the only person of color. And on top of that, there's a global pandemic happening. And, you know, as someone who is rooted in community, who stands for the things that you do, do you sometimes feel like the burden falls on you harder than any of the other council members to rep marginalized folks? Because, you know, like, we're not going to go to Kathy Lambert. We're going to come to you because we know you'll, you'll run with the people. And so do you ever feel like that weight is not evenly distributed? So I'll, I'll say that, like, getting to know my colleagues, like, they, I, I do think they're all really good people and they're all people yeah. who... Um, if I called on them and sat with them and talked through issues with them, uh, I think I could reach their hearts because I do think they're good people. At the same time, uh, constituents will go to who they feel represented by, right? Uh, it's it's not much you can do if you don't have the experience of someone to connect with them. So it's it's I don't think it's that they are themselves 
non-empathetic people, but mm. my district boundaries are one thing. Yeah. And then the people that I have to represent is another thing. So right. I often have people outside of my district reaching out saying, I have this issue and that issue. Gurmai, I think you could connect with me. I know you grew up in public housing. I know that you're an immigrant. I know that your family is refugees. Uh, I know that your family has had language access issues. I know your family has been homeless before. So they feel in many ways that they can connect with me in some way. And it does feel special to um, to be that person for many people. Uh, it does come with a lot of responsibilities as well. Like you mentioned in the beginning of the podcast, you're going from a pretty fast-paced campaign, a, pa- a campaign that you're having to navigate a lot, um, you know, running against Larry Gossett, keeping up um, very left, very community-centered platform policies. Because, you know, you weren't the only one trying to fill that void in case Larry was stepping out. You know, so was the establishment. So was um, people who were trying to take stake back into that very important district to countywide seat. Um, going through all of that and going right into uh, a, an office where you're dealing with, you know, something that none of us could have predicted was going to happen, this COVID-19 crisis. Um, had, in some ways, it's maybe a weird question, but has that kind of campaign pace kind of prepared you to go right into this or you feel like you haven't even had a chance to breathe yet? I think it has prepared me. You know, a campaign at its core is about organizing. And now we just have to find new ways of organizing. Our usual tools for bringing people together and getting stuff done are not there anymore. We can't pack a room. We can't hold a community meeting. We can't march. We can't protest. So now we're going to have to do all the things that we were doing during the campaign, but in a virtual way. And I was doing a lot of virtual campaigning. You know, I was using Instagram to get people's feedback. I was making videos. I was doing uh, video engagement and FaceTime and organizing over email. So all those things have become exponentially more important. And by the way, exponential is the word of the year. I don't know if y'all have. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, um, You know, one thing you do when you're campaigning, as some of you probably know, is do, you know, fundraisers where you tap Mm -hmm. a few people to be your host committee. And those people act as your outreach arms. Right. So, hey, my friends who live in this neighborhood, go out and rally everybody in your neighborhood to come to this house party to fundraise. Yeah, I kind of see our responsibility now for organizing to be something like getting uh, co-chairs and host committees to do engagement for us. So if I'm trying to get the word out about COVID safety tips and available resources, I can't just rely on Twitter and Facebook and live stream because then you miss so many people who don't use those. And in our generation, it's very easy to feel like (laughs) that's the world, that's the scope of the universe. But what we have to do is rally a bunch of people who uh, have contact with marginalized communities, communities that don't speak English, communities that are undocumented, communities that are low income or unsheltered or unhoused, and uh, lean on them to help you get the word out in an appropriate way. And that's, that's some of what we've been doing to make sure that we don't miss people as people struggle during this pandemic. That makes sense. 
And before this, uh, you were you were an attorney, right? Yes, sir. And you did most of your practice in New York. I did uh, three or four years in New York, and then one year in Seattle. Yeah, Chrissy and I always joke, not joke, but it's like, it's interesting to see New York um, in now, like very much in the center of this crisis. Um, Obviously, Seattle, Washington has been one of the epicenters of the virus, um, ground zero in a lot of ways. But, you know, we're seeing the governor Cuomo um, talk a lot about how he's helping New York. And we just see this kind of, uh, there's there's like a different type of New York attitude, you know, Mm -hmm. that... uh, no offense to Seattle, but I just think it's a little different. Um, oh, yeah, for sure. D- d- Say more, Day. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I think you kind of need that right now, you know, to tackle a lot of what's yeah. going on. Um, and your experience living in New York, practicing law there, um, do you have any insight on, like, maybe, like, how New Yorkers are dealing with this virus versus, like, what you're seeing here happen locally? Well, it seems to me that uh, locally we're doing much better than New York. Sure, sure, <laughs> right? I mean, Day, do you mean like how do we compare in, for example, Amazon and Instacart workers uh, did a strike up in New York, right? And we haven't seen that sort of uh, cohesive worker movement here. Is, is that what you're getting at? Day? Yeah, yeah. There's, I mean, exactly. And also like I'm... I'm kind of surprised, I'm not going to lie, that, um, I mean, we've seen a Shama Sawant mostly led a call for moratorium, right, on evictions, um, rent, uh, rent spikes, etc. We see uh, a literal rent strike movement happen in Oakland um, that has started, like you said, Myra, um, a... Uh, not a quite a general strike, but like an Amazon Instacart strike happened in New York. Um, do you think something like that should happen in Seattle? Or do you think it's just like culturally, the, the way that we engage politics and activism is just a little different here? That's a good question. I, I honestly wasn't aware of what they're doing in New York in terms of striking and everything, but I support whatever we need to do here to protect people. Uh, I know city council just passed a resolution asking the governor to implement a rent freeze and mortgage freeze. Great job, Aretha. Uh, and I, I plan <laughs> on introducing... That was all me, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I did it single-handedly. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. Um, I plan on introducing the same thing at the King County level just because the we need to make sure that the governor knows how we feel here. Like this is the epicenter for Washington. And if we can get Seattle to uh, commit to that and then King County as well. And if we can get the full spectrum of people on the political lines to uh, come together and say, that's what we want. I think that could be a powerful statement. So So uh, does the buck, uh, um, sorry to interrupt. Does the buck um, stop with the governor on this issue? Yeah. How do you how how are you feeling like realistically about this happening? Mm-hmm. I, I feel good because it feels like every time we try to ask for something, by the following week, it's getting implemented. Uh, okay. So yeah, yeah. so mm-hmm. there is like a lag, which I understand. From a, they're probably just trying to dot their t's and cross their eyes and may, think through the impact. Just because the way somebody explained it to me is, you know, if we. If we put on a commercial rent freeze, for example, and say, hey, the station coffee shop, you don't have to pay rent. 
then mm -hmm. El Centro is going to get hurt in having to pay their mortgage for their space. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. then mm -hmm. whoever lended them that money is going to have issues in whatever, you know, it's, it's going to have financial ripple effects essentially. So I'm sure mm -hmm. they're going through it. Uh, but I think we should freeze all of those levels, right? This is unprecedented yeah. times. Mm -hmm. uh, where, wherever, wherever the ripple effect is going to go, let's freeze at that point. Um, and I, I, I'm hopeful, especially if we can get King County to have the same resolution that uh, the governor can act fast. Mm -hmm. So you, you believe a rent freeze is coming then? My gut, just by gut. Not because I have any inside information. Oh, I hope sure, so. Sure. My God. <laughs> I just, yeah, let me say again. This is just my gut. Okay. No, no I get it. I get it. Let's hold on to what we you, can hold on to. I was doing the dishes today listening to NPR on our <clears throat> Alexa. <clears throat> and um <laughs> Remember said, when you went to Evergreen? Shut up. So someone on um someone on NPR, <laughs> it was like a financial strategist or financial uh, advisor for the Washington Post. Was talking about what what people should do right now who are laid off from work in order to pay rent and um she said like you know talk to your community talk to your church community talk to your parents do whatever you can to get money and like put your netflix account on hold put your spotify account on hold oh my god that's <laughs> shit. like do you know what first of all what innovation is coming out of our communities right now in order to provide aid to one another like from the bottom yeah. And like what the people, what percentage of money people who have very little are spending of their own money to support their neighbors versus people who have a shit ton of money. And like yeah. you're telling us that our only option is to like freeze our Netflix account right now. This is just the most, uh, it's frustrating <laughs> to even listen to. You got these giant that companies, really. literally one month of lost revenue is making them go under and mm -hmm. you're telling the everyday people on starvation wages that they need to, you know, don't get your little Starbucks every morning and then you'll be able to yeah. survive. What? What? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, do you follow sports at all, yeah. Ramai? Big NBA fan. Oh, Back NBA, when it was exactly. a thing. Remember those so, days? Remember when NBA was a thing? <laughs> remember when there were sports? Wait, remember trust that? Me, trust me. The year of well, You remember when there was outside? Yeah, I, I, I bring it up. I bring it up because um, you've seen the players giving to like the stadium workers, um, the uh, the mm -hmm. staff around the uh, the team, and the owners are not stepping up to the plate and doing that. And it's and it's just like fascinating yeah. to well, see. I mean, the NBA players, you know, yeah, they're they're pretty well off. You know, mm -hmm. they have pretty big salaries, but um, a lot of these billionaires are just trying their best to cut their losses as best as they can. Um, yeah, it's just ridiculous. So there's this, uh, you, you all probably know him, there's this rookie named Zion Williamson, and there was a story going around about how he's paying for the, uh, paying for the salaries of several stadium yeah. workers. And people were sharing it like it's a good story. And I'm like, you got this rookie who, like they said, he makes good money. Mm -hmm. But no, the owner of the team, who's a multi-billionaire, should be doing that. Mm -hmm. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, these feel-good stories end up always masking, you know, the real it's systematic sick. alienation slash injustice going on. Yeah. So yeah, how absolutely. are you feeling, Germay? Like, how's your family? Are they safe? Like, are you... Basically, like everybody on activist class has been having nightmares. <laughs> like, oh, <okay. laughs> right, right. And, and we've we've like at least cried, you know, 
once, if not like five times um, a day. <laughs> Before so, like, this. Yeah. How, how are you? Like, are you okay? First of all, thank you for asking. That's really thoughtful of you, Chrissy. It's weird because when you get to this position, you, you don't really take time to think about how am I doing? Yeah. Because right yeah. when the governor yeah. put in that order, was it two weeks ago, the first like shut down all businesses order? That was the day when shit really got real. Like suddenly my Instagram was flooded. My email was flooded. My text messages, my phone calls of people all around King County messaging me to tell me how Mm. terrified they are that they are going to endure the economic collapse of their lifetime. Right. I'm, I work at a barbershop. If I don't, uh, if I'm unable to cut people's hair, I'm going to, become homeless. I, I won't be able to pay for my rent. My kids won't be able to get food. I'm terrified right now. So just running around trying to connect every person to the proper place just so they can not go under, not, you know, not essentially die. Uh, yeah. it's, it's been a really crazy, crazy time. Um, so uh, my, my family personally is doing fine. People are, you know, staying home, uh, nobody's gotten sick yet. Uh, my mom is actually uh, works at a nursing home, um, oh, which is like the most dangerous place that you can yeah. work right now. Mm-hmm. But two years ago, she got injured and is unable to uh, go go to mm-hmm. work now. And so mm-hmm. she sees it as like, man, God blessed me early yeah. on so that I wouldn't now. have to go through this. So so mm-hmm. she, she, she's at home. Uh, my brother and sister are doing good. Um, so, um, very thankful for that, but yeah, these are very, very hard times and very draining, but it, yeah. we just have to make sure people make it through this. And I think mm-hmm. we will, cause I've seen how many communities are stepping up to help each other. Yeah. I mean, how are you taking care of yourself? Like we always ask if like, what is your self-care regimen? Like Netflix, Hulu, Spotify, like all the things. Yo, what are you streaming? So you got any time for that? my favorite show of all time is The Office. So I can watch, mm. I can watch that every day, uh, ten episodes a day, and I'll and I can yep. we gonna make it. We gonna be good. We gonna be all right. <laughs> we gonna be all right. Uh, How was going from Franklin High School to Stanford? Crazy. It was oh, crazy. Shit. Yeah, I That's mean, true. I just I, first of all, when you step outside of Seattle. When you grow up in in the South End, you assume Seattle is one thing, and then you step out of that environment and you tell people you're from Seattle, and they have a completely different. So when people mm-hmm. when when you talk to people outside of Seattle and they're like, "Oh, so you only know white people? A hundred percent of the people you know are white." I'm like, well, <laughs> I've never seen a white person before in any of my neighborhoods, so that was that was different. Oh, just uh, getting that outside of the South End perspective of what Seattle is. And then just the wealth. So many crazy wealthy people and people, you know, calling up their PhD fathers for help on their chemistry homework. And I'm like, wow. Oh yeah, my God. It was, it was wild. So so did you get any support in Stanford? Um, I mean, I, I know that a lot of kids that like um, – kids of immigrants have that same experience, right? Not being able to ask for help or, or um, just any sort of like collegiate experience from their parents. So, 
I'm just wondering if it's if Stanford, you know, one of the wealthiest schools, did they, do they have any sort of support for students like you? You know, there are some things that money can't buy, right? <laughs> it's like mm -hmm. you want mentors who understand you and who can give you tailored feedback and advice based on who they're talking to. And I remember sitting with guidance counselors in college who I would say, hey, I need advice on what to major in. You know, I, I have all these financial responsibilities back home. I'm thinking about, you know, taking care of my parents. And they'll tell you advice that just doesn't apply to yeah. a first-generation wow. immigrant kid. Like, yeah. you should just pick what you love and major in what you love. And I'd be like, oh, I like drawing. Mm. They're like, major in drawing. I'm like, I... That's just not a, that's just not an option okay, for Picasso. me. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's actually what led me to start my mentoring program, just to make sure that mm. kids with mm. backgrounds like ours have appropriate guidance and mentorship. Well, you're you're a proud tree, though. <laughs> proud tree. Oh, I love I love the school. It was a struggle my first two years, but man, I I partied my junior and senior year. I had a great time. <laughs> Yeah. Does it get complicated time. with the Pac-12 rivalry or what? Uh, for UW, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Wait, it they was, have a tree as a mascot? Yeah, a big ass tree. You hate to see it. You hate what? to see it. You so hate to see it. What do you do when you go to games? Like, how, uh, what do you wear? Brown? So we have a really weird band. You should Google Stanford's band and just see, you know, they're, they'll be <gasps> naked wearing dildos. And that's just like... What? That's what our band did. Um, and so people Whoa. just dressed wild and wacky, and our mascot was this goofy-looking goofy tree. Tree people. Man. Tree people. Okay. You learn things who's every your, day. Who's your more favorite Stanford alum, Rial Johnson or Andrew Luck? <laughs> you know I got to go with my guy, Rial. You got to pick one. I got to yeah, go with right. my guy, Rial. <laughs> you, sure you sure now? You sure now? Wait, are Rial? Is yeah, real? Yes, wow. real. <laughs> the collective real. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. Well, that's so, crazy. I, can sorry, I ask him some questions now or what? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, so, <laughs> we're, we're, we're about to ask you hard questions about the prison soon. So, Oh, shit. Yeah, we were just trying to be nice to you, bro. <laughs> All right. Bring it on. Let's do it. Um, uh, you know, joking aside, uh, just to get a little bit more serious, um, you know, obviously, there's been a lot of contention around the opening of the youth jail, and a lot of that has fallen <clears throat> upon um, King County Executive Dal Constantine. Um, yeah. And, you know, like you said, like, we can't time these things. Like, you coming off your campaign trail, going straight into your seat, um, dealing with this coronavirus. Um, parallel to that, the opening of this youth jail happening around the same time that we have this outbreak, this pandemic. Um are you, you know, knowing that you're only three months in and knowing that you have pretty, you know, very strong progressive platform around um, prison reform, um, youth justice, um, where are you at now with the whole problem with mass incarceration, um, the, the virus affecting the prisons, the inmates, the staff? Um, we see some counties and states around the country um, temporarily releasing some inmates, et cetera. Um, do you kind of have a hard line stance with what we should do with our prisons, especially on the county level? Absolutely. So I had one set of plans before the virus and then another set of plans after the <laughs> virus, as, as you can imagine. Um, so in terms of keeping 
people safe, my personal view is that jail, by definition, is the vast majority are for crimes that are for one year or less. So I'm just like, let people out before we they get sick themselves or they create a problem that cannot be contained and spread virus everywhere. And now we have a greater public health crisis here because you have people stacked on top of one another in a very, in very close quarters. I think it's very hard to follow public health guidelines within a jail setting. So I want people out of there, right. For public health reasons. Um, what we heard in a press release, uh, either last week or two weeks ago, is that the executive is taking steps to reduce the jail population now. So I think it was around, it started around 1,900 people in King County jails. And in order to be public health compliant, aka have one person per bunk and not people stacked on top of one another, you would have to get to 1,200, according to public health. And uh, the executive did announce a plan to get it to 1200. And as of today, I received a uh, update that uh, they are at 1312. So making good progress to get to that point. At the same time, we need to drastically change our booking criteria, what what our law enforcement people are going after, what counts as something that's worthy of going to jail, because we're not in normal times. So mm-hmm. right, uh, right. if it's not something that is a serious physical threat on someone's life or limb, I don't think people should be going to jail right now. Right. So uh, not just, I think they already have made a plan for misdemeanors and not booking misdemeanors right now, which is, which is a good thing. And that was part of the executive plan. There are also Mm -hmm. some felonies that are nonviolent drug felonies, for example, should not be going to jail right now. And this is not, coming at it from some ideological perspective. This is, we're in a public health crisis. So we need to do everything we can to not stack people up on one another in close quarters because all it takes is one. One Absolutely. person gets the virus, spreads it all over, then the guards have to get it. Then honestly, what, what is the plan if there's an outbreak in a jail? At that point, there if there's an outbreak... I, th- I think there, I think there is a plan that's stated, but I just don't know how it would be implemented. Right? If oh, there right. is, and so the plans I've heard of are if there is a manageable outbreak, like you know six people get it, they have enough space to uh, quarantine off those people in their own room in like a hospital type setting within the jail. But I'm talking about if there's a mass outbreak, at that point it's too late. So. Uh, we need to be doing something now. And, you know, Aretha and I have been on as a part of a coalition of people, uh, council members, uh, defenders, community members on calls trying to draft a letter that we can all agree to and get as many public health officials to sign off on it as possible. And then hopefully uh, build the political will to get resolutions going from our respective councils to let our executives know, hey, the council supports this, all these public health officials support it. Let's make some broad systemic changes to make sure our jails and our criminal legal systems are public health compliant. One of the things that you had mentioned also is that 
being an elected is an incredible organizing opportunity. Um, I think in some of the past conversations we've had on the show, we've continuously talked about how, yes, this moment is incredibly scary for a lot of people, but it's an incredible organizing opportunity to see truly like how much we can accomplish um, because things that didn't seem doable or like within reach are suddenly happening left and right, like fair enforcement. Right. So like, what are some of the organizing opportunities that you're seeing pop up within this time? Whether this crisis ends next week or one year from now or two years from now, the world that we knew before the crisis is over. Mm -hmm. I think we are, the world will fundamentally change because of this precisely because of what you're saying, Aretha. And that, and that is that, so many things that we deem to be out of reach are suddenly not only being shown to be possible, but necessary. We right. need universal basic income. We need Medicare for all. We need uh, universal free public transportation. We need to drastically reduce our prison and jail populations. And all those things on some level we're doing right now out of necessity But if we had that infrastructure going before this crisis, we would have been much more prepared to deal with this. And I think even the staunchest opponents of progressive platforms are going to see that, oh, this is not just something we're wishing for. This is something that we need, because if we don't, the next pandemic is going to just wipe us all out. Right. It's on their doorstep. Yeah. So have you seen any movement on that? Just like among your colleagues? I think so. I'm starting to see a a level of compassion and empathy that meets this moment when I'm talking to people about what what my constituents are telling me. I'm starting to see people realize that, oh, wow, yeah, that's true. We need, we definitely need to act. I think people are still constrained by limitations at the county level. You know, we don't have the taxing authority that the city or the state has. So, I mean, if I could be out here championing uh, tax Amazon or tax big corporations, I would, and I could still support that with just my advocacy power, but it's not something that you can do jurisdictionally at the county level. So Mm -hmm. people still feel tied by those things, but in terms of being supportive, I I think so. I think uh, people are feeling what needs to be done and and are about it. So what are you seeing the county do like particularly well, especially like relative to the state and city government? So as, as you know, during emergencies, the executives at every level get enhanced powers, right? Uh, The mayor, the King County executive, the governor, the president, uh, they're getting enhanced powers. And and I'm seeing uh, that, so many things are happening very quickly, you know, building shelters for people that uh, need housing during this time, uh, quickly deploying resources to uh, make sure that people are empowered to share resources with one another, you know, outreach grants are going out. Um, uh, The school board suddenly uh, finding ways to deliver lunch to uh, thousands of kids who are out of school and then quickly setting up an infrastructure for childcare programs. Um, seeing, uh, even, even the, the, um, the, even the plan for reducing the jail population, just the speed at with which that happened, you know, we were talking about earlier that this is showing what's possible. Well, yeah, they're, they're acting on it and they're doing it. Um, 
And then there, uh, the property tax thing, the King County executive just uh, announced that property taxes would be delayed until June. So I'm seeing a lot of things happening very quickly and it's showing that it's working because in King County, our, our rate of growth of the virus is slower than in other parts of the country. And I think part of that is because of how quickly uh, our local governments and state government have been able to act. Still a, a million more things that we need to be doing, but it has been hopeful just to see the pace with which uh, actions mm. are being taken. So right now, all the speed seems to be coming from, like you were just saying, the the state of emergency grants these special powers. How do we make sure that this speed continues, say, after an emergency? Um, it's been personally very disheartening to see how fast people finally got sheltered when we've been in a homeless state of an emergency for more than, well, I don't know, more than three years now. I, I don't remember when, when it happened, but... Um, so how do we, as your constituents, as your uh, supporters, et cetera, how do we make sure to keep on this trajectory, you know, to do things quickly for people that are, have been needing it for, you know, since the last recession, essentially, right? Since that was the last major transfer of wealth between the, between the very poor to the very rich. And we all fear that the same transfer of wealth will happen with this recession it's a great question myra uh, this is not to sound cynical it's just uh, a principle that that uh, i'm seeing but it's amazing how quickly things can get done when they when the issue at hand is deemed to be a priority right mm. so so one thing that i was dealing a lot with and that our office was dealing a lot with before the virus is gun violence and so many young people are shooting each other. And of course, that is the confluence of just uh, hundreds of different factors, poverty, institutional racism, um, et cetera, et cetera. Imagine if we were able to respond to gun violence the way that we responded to coronavirus, right? If every right. day uh, public health experts were coming, were able to come to the council and share updates on uh, how gun violence is spreading from one community to another. And now who is most at risk for participating in gun violence? Mm -hmm. If quickly we were able to build housing for young people who are housing unstable, who are in neighborhoods where they don't feel safe and that's why they're carrying a gun and there's an active gang war. And if we could just find somewhere for them to cool off for a little bit, gun violence would be reduced. If quickly we could deploy resources out there to make sure yeah. that people have what they need to be stable. If we had hotlines available for people who don't feel safe in the moment and to just give them whatever they need to not participate in gun violence. If, everything that is an emergency was deemed an emergency, we could act much faster. Mm -hmm. And what this virus is giving us now is precedent. So anything mm. that people told us was not possible before, we will right. be able to point out, well, these steps were taken before when you deemed it to be an emergency. Let's do the same right. thing here. So that's what that that's what makes me hopeful because we have precedent now. Yeah. We know what's possible. Are, are you seeing a lot of overlaps with? Because uh, at the beginning of, uh, I guess the show, <laughs> at the beginning of the show, you're saying you know I came into office had you know 
my platform and the list of things that I wanted to work on. And that all changed once the coronavirus came in. Are you seeing a lot of overlap with the precedent that we're putting down now to what you were working on before? And, and hopefully that will, you know, get you to come back to that with even more leverage. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I am seeing a lot of overlap just because the things that I, our office was working on before have just been exacerbated by this situation. Hmm. So even if we're thinking about gentrification and displacement, which right. being somebody who grew up yeah. in the South End, that's a huge issue for, for all of us. Uh, I got off the phone with a black elder today. She lives in the central district and she was telling us about the aggressive buying attempts of developers Mm -hmm. right now. That is so predatory. It's so predatory. And Myra, you described before the transfer of wealth that happens after every recession. That's exactly what they're trying to do right now. They're trying to capitalize on people who are very scared and uncertain and trying to Mm -hmm. profit off of that. And so the virus now has made gentrification, the threat of displacement worse um, because of predatory behavior like that, because of uncertain income streams for a million different reasons. And so it continues to be a priority and just the uh, aggressiveness with which we approach the situation has increased even more. I have a question about that in terms of like the stimulus and what is within the county's jurisdiction to support. Because I know that there's a lot of like um, forgivable loans available to small businesses and like ways that like businesses can stay open. And um, after talking with Melissa Miranda Mm -hmm. last week, she gave us a statistic that 70 percent of all of the restaurants that close may not be able to reopen or more than 70 percent. And so, like, for neighborhoods, like, in the Chinatown International District that are, like, all mom and pops that are a lot of small business restaurants, like, the fact that, like, if those businesses shut their doors and then aren't able to come back, that they're going to turn into a plant shop or, like, you know, a boutique afterwards and, like, culturally displace that neighborhood forever is, like, a big fear to me. And I'm curious, like, what the county or city or state or whatever has jurisdiction over in terms of providing community preference Um, like if they were to close like back into leasing spaces or like making sure that like those small businesses that are getting like that are the most vulnerable are getting all the in language support they need and everything that they need in order to interpret the stimulus like right now and like yeah how you you talked a little bit too earlier at the beginning about like organizing um and like do using the same type of like campaign strategy that you did to like have house parties and like to get like folks from within their communities to do outreach and be like points of contact but like how are how is the county like bridging the digital divide right now um which is like a huge racial and income disparity for folks and like we can't just let we can't leave that up to neighbors you know being neighbors that's a like that's a full-time job to, to be able to provide that for our families and like to be able to interpret shit for our parents. So what, where's the support in that? It's a great question. And I think there were multiple questions in there. So please uh, chime in if I skipped over. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, that one. was like my, like, I was like a town hall person. I was like, Goodbye. <laughs> answer these like 10 questions in my rant. <laughs> so, um, I'll start off with the technology gap, which is a huge issue. And I'll just give you a case study. So 
what one neighborhood in my district is Skyway, you know, historically underserved community, lots of issues with the fact that it's unincorporated. There is yeah. an apartment complex in Skyway called Creston Point. Creston Point is has uh, many immigrants, a lot of language access needs, densely populated. Um, so you can imagine when I found out that there was a positive COVID case in that apartment complex in that setting, that was on all hands on deck, panic mode, right? Because yeah. how do you reach... Uh, a community like that where it's so many different cultures, so many different languages, uh, low income, people don't have internet, uh, people uh, may not have the same kind of technology that you, we're relying on right now to communicate. And so we had to really do a lot of brainstorming uh, to serve that community. The first thing that I did was rally all of the community-based organizations that already serve that apartment complex. And we all got on, a, on the phone together and basically asked them, how can, what do you need to spread information and resources within this apartment complex? Because they're the ones who serve that community. They know best. I can't just come in and assume that I know or the same ways that I've been serving other places across my district are going to work here. And they told us several things. First, they told us all the languages that are spoken there. That's our first data point. So I, I went to the executive team and I said, uh, you know, we need uh, materials in Somali, Amharic, Tigrinya, Spanish, Tagalog, Vietnamese, and just listed all of these languages. And so while I'm still talking to these community-based organizations, our other team is going out and translating information. Then we're asking them, what is the best way to reach people here who don't have technology and they said well they have one particular type of technology that is very that's very active whatsapp whatsapp is very used in uh, many immigrant communities and so we we're like okay great so we're gonna rely on whatsapp um, and then apparently the apartment management has already uh, uh, an email system and text message system for that community so we tapped into that um, and then finally for language needs we, we did, uh, number one, we did a virtual community town hall for those who do have computer access. We found out that many of the students had gotten uh, free Chromebooks through a separate program. Mm -hmm. So we did a virtual community meeting with uh, language access provided and had the community tell us what the barriers were for them following public health guidelines. And they share all kinds of things that we didn't previously anticipate. And then we went out and currently we're working on um, pre-recorded videos that share what people need in terms of uh, uh, resources to address the economic impacts of COVID and just general public health guidelines, all recorded in separate languages. So we're going to do one from with a person who speaks Vietnamese, one person who speaks Somali, and we'll be able to share those with people. So that's just one example of doing outreach in a neighborhood where you can't just, you know, make uh, Instagram videos and think mm -hmm. that's going to reach people. And then uh, can you remind me of another question that you had asked, Chrissy? Uh, whether or not community preference is like the county's jurisdiction or how we so can with, make sure that resources flow back into the families that and businesses that are in their current spaces. Great question. Within Seattle city limits or any city limits, that's going to be a city council 
jurisdiction. Anything land use and zoning, community preference, right of first return, these kind of uh, anti-displacement terms are going Mm -hmm. to be from the city council's perspective. King County can do that in unincorporated King County. Uh, But one thing that I always say is just because myself or my office don't have jurisdiction to uh, formally implement a policy doesn't mean we can't fight for those things. So for example, the, the elder who I spoke to this morning, who was experiencing predatory developers coming over and trying to buy her property. I can't personally change land use and zoning laws within the central district. That's a city council and a state uh, space, but I can help her organize You know, she has a list of 50 black homeowners in the central district, and she's been personally going one by one and asking them questions. I can help her rally that community and make sure that they're supporting one one another to get a network going where if one of them gets a knock on their door and they're not sure if this is a credible source, they can tap into this network for support and information. And then we can also help her create a community council where they can go and get feedback on is this developer a good person that I should use? I'm scared right now and I'm only going to be selling because uh, I don't know if I feel like I have to. That's one thing that this elder kept telling us. People are coming here and saying, I'm only selling because I feel like I have to. Well, if they Mm -hmm. had a community council to go to or a community organization to go to, to share experiences with, maybe they wouldn't feel that way after they heard other people's perspectives and heard what resources are available to them. So that kind of organizing through Facebook groups, through emails, through community council, and through opening up financial assistance type of resources and hotlines, I think those are all things that we can do through King County, even if we don't have that kind of land use and zoning power within Seattle city limits. Um, Councilman, one of the things that I really love about your social media presence is the way you're able to dispel information in like really fun ways and things that are like very accessible. So uh, what's the secret? Selfie um, videos. Do you, do you know what a do you know what an Instagram thought is? My friends call me a thought because I'm always on Instagram just trying to. We can do a quick daddy, daddy, father. Whoa. We have to. Oh, yeah, yeah, I got yeah. I got a good one yeah, for yeah. you. I got a good one for you. Oh. Have you heard about you this? No, it's I don't know what world this game famous. is. It's world what famous. is it? Sorry. Um, it's activist, activist class special. It's a game called Zaddy, Daddy, Father. Okay. We give you I'm kind of three. Scared. Have you ever heard of his daddy? <laughs> Huh? Are you? Have you heard of a zaddy? I almost asked if you're a zaddy, but have you heard of a zaddy? Depends who you ask, brother. <laughs> so, so you know what a zaddy Reddy. is. I, I, I know like what a zaddy is. He okay, knows what he, a thought is, so he must know what a zaddy is. Yeah, yeah. True. Yeah. You're, Those you're, things you're, go hand in hand. So there's zaddy. There, that's the top level. There's daddy, mm-hmm. and then there's just me, mo, father, right? There's three levels. Oh, okay. I give you, we give you three names, and you rank them: zaddy, daddy, or father. Very. If you know what a zaddy what? is, we don't need to explain anything else. I right? got it. I got it. All right, all right. We'll start easy, okay? Before we make you uh, get canceled. Um. All right. First three <laughs> names. We'll do because you've told us your interests. I'm gonna make the first uh, round the battle of the Michaels. Okay. Okay. Mm. You got it. You ready? I'm ready. Michael Scott. Mm, Zaddy. Done. Michael Jordan. No, you got to rank them. Michael Scott. Michael Jordan. 
or Michael Tyson, a.k.a. Mike Tyson? So I'm going to go. <laughs> Michael Tyson. <laughs> off top, you already know Michael Scott is my zaddy. Oh, he, uh, is that, he's your zaddy or your daddy? My zaddy. You heard me. <laughs> yeah. Michael Over the Jordan. Goal. Over the <laughs> Michael Jordan is the daddy. And then uh, Mike Tyson. Sorry, man. It's, that's, that's just is the it father. the list? Is you just call list? Mike Tyson a square, bro. Like, do you know? The father Mike Tyson on yeah. the tiger, which is probably has not aged well. Problematic. Real quick, real quick. The, my my co-hosts are going to hate me for asking you this, but LeBron or Michael? That's actually a great question. I, I got to go with that. LeBron. Oh, LeBron yeah, James. Millennial. LeBron millennial. James. LeBron James. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Do you, th- you think LeBron, you think it was the Lakers ring before the season ended? I think he was going to win one. It was too magical not to. You know, mm. I, I could. I already see him winning, holding it up, crying, Kobe, like pointing up yeah. at the jerseys on the rafters. Mm-hmm. It, it was just going to be a lot. I was, I was spiritually ready for it. Do you think it would have solidified his bump that he needed? Or you think uh, there's still going to be like, of course, there's going to be people that are going to be like, Michael's the goal no matter what. I don't think there's anything LeBron can do at this point that's going to uh, help make him get past Jordan in the eyes of Jordan people. Right, 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 right. But you telling your uncles at the barbershop, hey, it's LeBron time. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, Anybody else got what? another zaddy daddy? Okay, okay, we'll do an office version. We'll do an office version. Okay, so we'll do... Dwight, Pam, Stanley. Oh, Stanley. (laughs) Stanley is underrated character, man. He is underrated. I got to give Stanley the zaddy. Whoa. I I, I see that. I I see that. I have to do it. Yeah. Uh, Dwight will be the daddy. And then, Mm -hmm. sorry, Pam. Pam Pam is, but like her character is a square. That's her character. She wears like like granny sweaters all the time. That's her thing. Yeah. (laughs) Who are you? Her, can I ask you, Grandma? Who are you currently quarantined with? I'm with my family. So during, like, my not my family that I created, my birth family, right? <laughs> so you don't have uh, any kids? No. So during the campaign, I had to leave my job. So I was like, oh man, I can't really afford rent and stuff if I'm not working. So I'd moved in yeah. with with my family since I'm here. Um, and the plan mm. was to move out right after starting work, but oh yeah, the, the way <laughs> shit is set up right now, I don't know. Are they so, very happy you're there? Of course, you know oh, how I'm sure so immigrant happy. moms oh, are. Yeah. Immigrant moms right. are not like you have cool, to leave; cool, cool. they're like stay forever. Stay forever. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I wanted to know too. Like, what what's your favorite meal your mom cooks? Oh man, she's my mom is the best cook ever. I guess everybody feels that way, but. The uh, have have it have you all had Ethiopian food before? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah! Imagine getting to eat that every single night. It's just, oh, yeah. it's amazing. Yeah, big fan. Mm-hmm. So that's my favorite food, my favorite meal. Thank you so much, Jeremiah. This was great. This was like such a good balance. I feel like of like people really needing to laugh and like also just like a lot of good information. So. Yeah, thank, thank you. you for spending so much time doing it. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, this was, this was awesome. Keep doing what you're doing. Uh, this, you. this was really great. Thank you.